G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to start the segment talking about the red-hot property market right now. Lots of us interested in that. Our guest uh, is, of course, uh, Alex Cook from Wealth With Purpose. If you have a question, the talkback line open right now on 1-800-316-316. We're 90 minutes away from checking in on a major initiative that's underway this week. You may have heard in the news that leaders of many of the great Christian welfare organisations in Australia have met with the government this week. And there is an agreement, a partnership agreement. They're going to partner with the federal government to work together in recovery from the COVID economic crisis. We're going to check in with James Toomey from Mission Australia. That's just one of the many huge organisations that are joining together and partnering with government uh, to talk about just how significant this is. That conversation coming in around about 90 minutes from now. On Faith and the Future with Dr. Camille Majdali, more in our series on the land of the Bible. Today, talking some more about the seven churches in Revelation. All that before Focus on the Family, about two hours away, with the second part in their series, Helping Your Teens Retain Their Faith. I think you can agree, good things are ahead on this Wednesday edition of 2020. Well, as we do at the start of this year, we started something new, a regular segment, this time on a Wednesday, looking to address your questions around Christians and money. Whether it's around Christian perspectives on topical investment issues or biblical teachings or practical financial wisdom, our special guest is Alex Cook, the founder of Wealth With Purpose. Alex is back with us. Hey, Alex, welcome back to 2020. Morning, Neil. Great to be back this week. Alex, uh, there's some questions uh, that we have to deal with, but we do want to have a a bit of a a moment each week where we talk about those things that are really current happening right now. And let's just touch on the red-hot property market as it is at the present time. Uh, You've got some sort of thoughts here about things going crazy over these past few months and more to come. What are your thoughts here on the property market? (laughs) Yeah, well, it's been a fascinating six months. I think uh, when COVID hit back in March last year, everyone thought the property market would uh, would plummet but in fact it only fell very slightly and now it's really taken off like a rocket in the last six months um, but of course that varies greatly by the area you're in um, but also the, probably the key driver of it all is what I call cheap money so it's never before in our history have we had interest rates on home loans it's hard to believe they're now under two percent on a fixed rate loan and that has really put a, a massive rocket under the the housing market because people can borrow even more money than they could previously and that's driven it up and you see it in mortgage growth so mortgage growth is very much linked to the housing market and you've had 30% growth year on year in mortgages so massive increase in interest and and people borrowing huge amounts of money now it's very uh, affected by your area so regional areas particularly are the ones that have been uh, swamp because of COVID, as you know, many people are working from home and have decided, oh, you know what, I actually don't need to work in a, the big city anymore. I can 
I can work from home and, uh, you know, I maybe have to commute one or two days a week into town. But other than that, I can work from home. So a lot of people are moving out of uh, regional areas uh, or interregional areas, I should say, out of the big cities. So that's that's a big thing going on. Um, but even in the, still in the big cities, they're still quite strong. Uh, the only one exception, the area that's doing really poorly is actually um, in apartments and units, particularly in the inner city, Sydney and Melbourne, um, where because of the lack of international students coming in, uh, the lack of immigration, many of those are actually seeing double-digit falls in rents. So it's actually very cheap to rent apartments in those areas now. Um, of course, that's really bad for investors who invest in those properties because your rental income is diminished and therefore the reality is the property value is also going to be negatively affected over time as well. So, yeah, it's a very diverse market. In fact, it's a funny thing to talk about the property market because there's no one market per se. You know, city is different to regional um, and even, even within a city there's, uh, you know, substantial differences as well. But uh, certainly over the next 12 months with the flow of cheap money, you think uh, housing looks pretty strong. Alex, it could be all sorts of ways of thinking about this. Let's try and hone in on the idea of a Christian way of responding. And, uh, you know, if someone is wanting to apply some Christian thinking to buying into today's property market, uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, really, it's a great question, an important one. I, my, I have a very deep concern about what's going on. With cheap money, what it does, it's drawing more and more people into huge amounts of debt um, because of the attraction of the low rates. But the Bible warns us that debt can lead to slavery. And so the risk, I think, is if you're borrowing a large amount of money at interest rates of 2 2.5%, the question you have to ask yourself is, could I service that loan at 5% or 7%? Could I actually service it? Um, because there's a real risk that I think that many Australians become enslaved to their home loan. Um, and from a Christian perspective, that will then lead to all sorts of other negative effects, such as not being able to live a generous Christian life because you're living in debt servitude. So that to me is a what I would call a medium-term concern. It's not a, um, a immediate in the sense that because rates are so low, but that to me is a real risk um, for people going forward. Um, and so I, I urge a lot of caution in this. Um, there's this weird assumption in Australia that house prices only ever go up. Um, but history suggests otherwise, and I do think this is a time to, you know, take a breath. Uh, don't buy into the sort of fear. There's a big fear of missing out, um, and don't buy into that and just have a, uh, you know, a, a sort of a conservative approach to b- the way you borrow money. I mean, we all, you know, many of us want to own our own home. That's fine. Um, but just be really cautious and be very careful about how much money you borrow. Ask yourself, could I service this at a higher rate, and could I still live a generous life if rates were much higher than they are today? So they're, okay. they're, to me, the big, important Christian ways of looking at it. If you're already in the market, you might be thinking, well, you can run with the wave. Let's talk about people who might be first-time entrants into the property market. Uh, what's some advice here for those who are trying to get in for the first time? Yes, yeah, so a couple of things. So if we're using a typical scenario, sort of young couple um, wanting to buy their first home, I would encourage them to buy on the basis of one income, not two, because the classic thing that happens, of course, is you know young people they get married, uh, they buy a home, and then you know a year or two later the first child comes along, and then all of a sudden they're down to one income, and the key issue then is can you afford to service the home loan on one income, or does the you know the, does the woman need to get back to work really really quickly just to, in order to keep the the bills being paid. So that's a, a very classic trap amongst young couples. Um, the second thing I'd advise people who are young is to start small and work your way up. 
our society is very geared towards, you know, this sort of dream home kind of mentality. And so what I'd say to people is start with a humble dwelling initially, you know, buy small, buy something that you can afford, um, where you've got a reasonable deposit that you can use to, to buy it, um, where you can service it at easily and where you can make additional repayments so you can pay it off as quick as you can. And then, you know, three, five years later, then you look to upgrade and get the bigger place. So have a more, you know, slow and steady goes approach rather than buy, borrowing as much money as you possibly can, which is what most people do, and, and buy and spending too much and then finding it's a real struggle to repay. So it's just taking that slow and steady approach. Alex, let's talk about people who perhaps already own a property, maybe even multiple properties. Uh, The idea of getting into the market now for investors and taking advantage of uh, taxation laws, negative gearing. Uh, Let's talk about negative gearing. Perhaps if you're thinking of an investment property, what are your thoughts here for people who already own a property and thinking of buying more? Yeah, look, I get this question almost all the time as a financial planner. The one I, I urge a lot of caution here. One of the things is because property prices have risen so much over the last 20 years, uh, rents have not kept pace with them. So there's a big gap between what we call price, you know, price to rent. Uh, and so if you're an investor, the key thing is making sure that the property you buy gives you a reasonable income stream. A, to repay the debt that you usually take out, and and B, because you're trying to get a reasonable rate of return. Um, And so to explain negative gearing very simply to people, let's do it by way of example. Let's say you buy a half a million dollar property, it rents out for $25,000 a year, that's your rent you're getting in, but you have expenses, you know, you've got your strata, you've got to maintain it and so forth, and of course you've usually got a mortgage against it. If those expenses are greater than the rent, um, let's say they're 30000 then you're losing $5,000 a year. And that means you're negatively geared. That's when the income coming in is lower than the expenses going out. It means you're negatively geared. And the reason why accountants love it and promote it a lot is because you get a tax benefit through the loss that you're making. But from a financial planner's perspective, it's actually very unwise because you're losing money tax effectively. So I always urge people, if you're going to buy investment property, you want to be at worst neutrally geared and at, and at better, you want to be positively geared. You also have to assume that rates are going to rise and so the costs of servicing the loan are going to go up as well. So I think, um, it's, I think as a general rule, it's not that attractive for investors, but some people do find great properties where they do pay good income. But my strong advice to people is do not negative gear. Look at how you can positively gear property. Don't lose money tax effectively. Um, it's a real trap, and you can end up. Uh, if I had a dollar for every person that's coming to my office, they bought a property for four hundred thousand. Ten years later, it's still four hundred thousand, and they've just lost money tax effectively over a five ten year period. So just be very careful with this whole negative gearing concept. It is. It's dangerous because you are losing money tax effectively. Good thoughts. Just before we move on, Alex, when we talk about applying biblical wisdom into a current financial context, uh, we might be talking about timeless principles gleaned from the Bible. So uh, just quickly around things like debt uh, and greed, uh, those are the sorts of things that the Bible Uh, speaks into, and we could say God has given us wisdom, financial wisdom here. Uh, Those are the sorts of things that people need to look at if they're looking for God's wisdom in their own finances in the 21st century? Absolutely. And look, I say to people, think of it in this very simple way. Think of that the money that God has blessed you with, whether it's, you know, in the form of assets or in the form of income, 
that money is in fact God's. The, the Christian worldview is that the money that we have, the, the, the time, the talent and the treasure that God gives us uh, are really his and we're to use that money to build his kingdom. So I think the real danger in living in a prosperous society like Australia is to get sucked into the, the sort of the material worldview uh, that life is about accumulation um, and that life is about just spending it on oneself and building one's own kingdom. And I think that's a very real risk. And the Bible warns us uh, that the love of money, not money itself, money is neutral, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so the real trap in our society is it's very easy to fall in love with money and to develop this accumulation mindset. So the, the view that we have as a ministry is that Christians, whether they have a little or whether they have a lot, are to be stewards of it, steward of it, um, and they're to do it for God's glory. In other words, you to use your money, whether you have a little or a lot, to advance God's kingdom, to help those in need, um, and of course, meet the needs of your own family too. That's obviously very important as well. But it starts with the mindset that everything I have is God's and I'm to use it for his glory. Um, and then everything else that can then fall out from that kind of biblical uh, mentality and that biblical framework. And I imagine that doesn't mean you don't look for opportunities and make wise investments and intend to make a great profit because uh, it's an issue of the heart, isn't it, as to how you actually handle this stewardship of God's asset, the money that he's given to you. Hey, let's move on because uh, I do want to touch on a question from uh, Jay. Now, Jay says, uh, let me just uh, account this question here so listeners can keep up with it. Uh, is Jay says, what do you think about Jesus when handling economy, capitalism or socialism? The Bible mentions the love of money is the root of all evil. Capitalism is another word for moneyism. The corporates and companies behaving like individuals nowadays and have their own voices in society and politics, and most corporates are looking to maximise their money profit, yet many preachers tend to defend capitalism. I know it's a big one and we've only got a few minutes, but what are your thoughts for Jay? Yeah, look, it's actually a fabulous, fabulous question, and it also it can be a very polarising topic. This one amongst uh, Christians I've found over the years, um, but it's probably important to start with just defining both of them uh, first as a quick one, and then say what, what's the a biblical position on these. Well, both socialism and capitalism are ultimately sort of political, social, and economic philosophies, and they tend to be adopted by by governments. Um, and what happens in under these different philosophies is someone is determining the uh, control and ownership of, of a property and the means of production and the resources in society. So in a socialist society, the government or the state, if you like, um, becomes the dominant uh, owner and dominant controller of who owns property, uh, the means of production and resources. Whereas in a capitalist economy, or free market as is, is often, often it's called, um, it's the opposite. Things are privately owned and markets determine who gets the income and determines the pricing of things. Um, and so in one sense, every society around the world, every country is slightly different. Some of them lean more way, uh, more ways than another. As a, From a Christian point of view, I encourage Christians to really think through these issues very carefully because they have long-term implications on the prosperity of a nation and poverty. They have big long-term ramifications. Um, so the first comment I'd make from a Christian point of view, though, is that as Christians, we shouldn't buy into these man-made philosophies. We should look at each 
uh, issue in its own right, each economic issue, um, through a biblical framework as much as possible. We've also got to remember that God created government as the authority over us and that we need to be praying for good government, for righteous government, to, to come up with policies that enable human flourishing. So the Christian point of view should be, how can I pray for my government to create policies that enable people to flourish? Now, socialism is very problematic because it basically assumes that the benevolence of government, it assumes the competency of uh, bureaucrats to determine the means of production in a way that's likely to lead to prosperity. Now, history would not paint a good uh, picture of the outcomes of societies that are deeply socialist. Now, equally, Christians look at capitalism, they go, oh, look at all the inequality and so forth it causes. Um, and they're, they're right to some degree. Capitalism, the advantage of it means you have private property ownership, which is very much scriptural. You know, you and I can own our own home in a, in a capitalist society. Um, and in fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments, it says it's a sin to, you know, desire someone else's goods kind of thing, their property, etc. So private property is very much supported by scripture. But the, um, the danger with capitalism, I think what we're seeing in the Western world is you get a kind of crony capitalism where big corporates have massive influence over government through lobbying, uh, through the way government is funded and so forth. And that becomes very problematic. So neither system is perfect and neither system will be perfect, you know, this side of heaven. Um, however, Christians, I believe, should be praying for good, righteous government. We should be praying um, and trying to influence the political system on specific issues to uh, enable policies that are most likely to lead to human flourishing. That, to me, is a critical issue. And I imagine that uh, if you're looking for something simple, biblical, to uh, look for some direction forward, the Tenth Commandment, which is thou shalt not covet, which assumes the ownership of uh, private property from your neighbour and uh, all sorts of things to do with family and all sorts of things like that as well. So uh, that's what I uh, would tend to, to think of. Alex, uh, the Ten Commandments are actually very revealing when they... Uh, when you unpack some of those things there and even apply those to how those ideological perspectives work. Oh, ab absolutely. And as you say, um, the Ten Commandments, I think, point more towards a free market society. I think Christianity in and of itself leads to liberation and freedom where people have the free choice to to make decisions about what they do in their life and what they do with their goods and so forth. That, to me, is one of the great liberating freedom things about the Christian faith. Um, but as I say, um, they can get carried away. The free market you know, can lead to monopolies, can lead to all sorts of situations that are negative. And that's why you know, I come back to the idea we need to pray for good government. We as Christians need to speak into society, um, come up with solutions, not, not just declare problems, but come up with solutions to deal with the big issues of the day, whether it's poverty or inequality and so forth. Um, but policies are going to lead to what I call human flourishing, the key thing. And as you say, with the Old Testament, it makes it very clear that private property ownership, um, to me, is an important uh, human right that uh, is something we should be encouraging in all societies around the world. Good stuff, Alex Cook. And this segment, at this time each week, your opportunity to call in on our talkback line. Uh, you can also uh, leave a question on today's Facebook post. You, if you go to facebook.com forward slash vision radio, the vision radio Facebook page, you'll see a post there. Uh, it's all about Ask Alex, and you can, in fact, put a question there. Uh, we'll address those questions uh, as we get opportunity to in this segment each week. You can also follow Alex on Facebook at Purpose Wealth and Twitter 
Purpose Wealth. And uh, Alex Cook, uh, wealthwithpurpose.com, where people can get free ebooks, uh, my toolkit, free videos, podcast content. Uh, the idea is that we think biblically as Christians around issues to, <coughs> issues to do with our finance. Alex Cook, thanks so much for taking this time uh, today to, uh, to update us on these things on 2020. Excellent. Thanks, Neil. Great to be with you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.